faith, hope, and love. Last week, we actually talked about hope. Uh, that's our series. The greatest of these is love, is today. You know, it comes from this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In our series, when talking about those, we, we talked two weeks ago about faith. Faith is the, is the currency with which we exchange anything with God. You, you only come to God through faith. We don't see him with our eyes. So how do you come to God? In faith. And faith fuels hope. We talked about it last week. Hope is like that email you get from Amazon when you've, you've ordered and they say, it's on its way. Well, that's when God makes a promise Hope is that it's on its way and it's coming. You can count on that. And then today, of course, we deal with the greatest of these. Now, we've asked three questions every week. Let me just tell you what they are. Number one, what is it? Number two, why is it so important? Why does it remain? And number three, how can it impact my life? How can I apply it to myself? So today... The greatest of these is love. So let's start with question number one. What is love? Boy, that should be a real simple answer, wouldn't it? <laughs> what is love? Well, it depends on what kind of love you're talking about. Like, for instance, if I were to go to a restaurant, let's say after church I go to a restaurant and I sit down and the waiter comes and says, what will you be having today? And I go, I want some cheese. The, the waiter's going to say, well, what kind of cheese? Because there's a lot of different kinds of cheese, you know, that there's cheddar and Colby and Havarda and, and, and Gouda and, and you've got uh, Munster and Swiss and Provolone. They're good on omelets and sandwiches. And then you have, you know, Parmesan and mozzarella and, and Romano that are good with Italian food. And then, then there are those pungent cheeses, you know, like, like feta and blue cheese and, and Roquefort and gargonzola, and then there's Limburger cheese. Yeah? Limburger cheese smells like you know what. It's a funny story in our family. Uh, my father-in-law, Peg's dad, that was an incredible missionary doctor in South America, uh, they were on a ship going to South America, took a couple of weeks, and he decided he was going to eat everything on the menu, everything. He's, he's a doctor. He's organized. He's going to eat it all. But he got down to one remaining thing, and it was Limburger. So he said, I'll just eat Limburger cheese. I don't know if it was an omelet or a sandwich or whatever. And the waiter was going, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. And let me just tell you what. They brought it to him, and he cleared the whole dining room out. It just depends on what kind of cheese you're talking about. Well, see... The concept of love in the New Testament is sort of like that. There are a lot of different words in the New Testament for what we translate into English as the word love. There are several different words. They're able to differentiate by those words, where in English we're at a disadvantage because we have one word, L-O-V-E, that covers all of those. Sounds simple, but it's really not. Like I can say, I love chocolate. I love football. I love my wife. I love cotton sheets. I love my grandchildren. I love smelling garlic. I love to worship God. I love to kill roaches. I mean, I just use the same word 
and covered all of that stuff. We're at a real disadvantage in the English language, but the, the New Testament is not like that. There are three words in the New Testament that are used for love. Now, there's one word in Greek that's, that's not used in the New Testament. Uh, it's the word eros, and it means uh, sensual, sexual love. And it's not that God is against sex, sexual love at all. It's just that that word's not used because it was pretty much used in a really seedy way back in, the, back in those days. So that word's not in there. But there are three other words that are. And uh, let's just talk about those because they're in the scripture. The first one is the word phileo. Phileo is called friendship love. It's, it's called brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, they said. That's, that's where that word comes from. Uh, in the scripture, we read it when, when Lazarus, which was Jesus' friend, died and the Bible says Jesus wept, this is what was said about them. That said, the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how Jesus loved him. That was the word used, phileo. Because Jesus had a friendship relationship, a very, very dear friendship relationship with Lazarus. And, and even though he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept because it was his friend. I'm thinking he might have wept because he was about to raise him from the dead back into this world. So I... I'm not sure about that, but um, that's what happened. Now, yesterday, I, I was in my hometown, and I, I sadly uh, but was considered it an honor to be able to do the graveside service for one of my, my closest friends that I grew up with. His name was Walt, and uh, we, I have known him since nursery in, in the church. We grew up together, played together, one of my our dearest friends ever, and uh, stayed close to him most of those years since. And um, that, that's the kind of love that I had for my friend. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, the Bible says. That's, that's a brotherly love that's very deep and sincere. And we should have phileo love in our life. We should have that kind of love for friends and people that are close to us. It's biblical. But that's not the word that's in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. There's another kind of uh, love in the New Testament, and it's the word storge. Storge is family love. And that's sort of weird, family love. What it means is it's, it's love that, that is, um, it's, it's, it's responsible. You're responsible for your children. You, you love your children because you, you want to protect them. It's a mama bear kind of love, if you know what I mean. It's, the, it's that kind of love. It's a strong, strong, affectionate love that we have, especially in families. It's used in the Bible only, New Testament only once. And it's used to explain when somebody doesn't have that. Uh, the Bible says unnatural love. They have unnatural love. Natural love is to take care and protect your family and, and, and to respect life and stuff like that. But unnatural love is what we saw on the television with the, with the terrorists in Israel. How they could go in to, to kill little babies and children and just cold blood without any remorse or anything. That, the Bible would call, is astorge. It is not natural love. It should be natural to love and to, to protect and take care of the, the ones, uh, small ones around us. But we also saw storge love with those people that we read about that, that even gave their life protecting their family or, 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 or trying to rescue and protect others. That was also storge love. 
It's a very strong love, emotionally strong love. But that's not the one that was mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. The love that's called the greatest of these is the word agape. It means unselfish love. That's just one way to describe it. We're gonna describe it big time today, all right? Unselfish, it's the highest form of love. It differs from these other loves that we talked about because it is based purely on choice. You choose to agape love. You choose to do this. It's, uh, it's not out of attraction like eros or like even phileo. It's not that you're drawn to a friend or you're attracted to someone or whatever. And it's not even responsibility and duty love that a parent feels to take care of their kids. It's something you choose to do, even though it's hard to do. Agape love is deeper. It goes beyond storge love. It goes beyond, it goes deeper. It's the deepest of all. It's love that restores and heals and forgives. It's the, the love we see in the cross of Jesus. It's the love that, that restored humanity to God in the face of all the sin of this world. John 15, 13, greater agape has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did when he died for us. It's not driven by emotion, it's driven by choice. It's driven to, by God to show us that we have something beyond what we're, we're dealing with here. He loves us so much, he wants to move us beyond what is earthly to something that is eternal. Um, I want us to do this. I want us to look at what the scripture says, how the scripture defines agape. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. And just for a minute, I want us to, to just put our finger on our own heart and see where we are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you 1 Corinthians 13, uh, the description of love, and, and I'm going to do it in a way that sort of explains what those words mean. So it goes like this. Agape love is patient and peaceful. It's kind and thoughtful. It doesn't envy what others have, and it refuses to be jealous. Agape love does not boast it's not proud. It's not arrogant. It's humble. Agape love is not harsh or rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not self-centered. Agape love is not easily angered or overly sensitive. It keeps no record of wrongs. It holds no grudges. It refuses to play the victim card. Agape love does not participate in revenge or in payback. Agape love doesn't make an accommodation with evil. It rejoices in the truth and holds tightly to it. Agape love always bears whatever comes. It trusts God in everything. It always keeps hope alive, and agape love never, ever gives up. Wow. Wow. That's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. 
So here's question two. So why is that agape love so important? I grew up in the, the 60s and 70s, as some of you did. And we saw these images a lot in our growing up time, didn't we? Some of you look, that looks familiar, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, was, uh, that was the messages we heard. It, we were told it was the age of Aquarius. Yep, that's where we were, the age of Aquarius. It said, uh, when, when the moon is in its seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars, then peace will guide the planets and love will steer the stars. Problem was, they were talking about the wrong kind of love. Yeah, there was a lot of, of eros in it and a lot of phileo and even some storge, but they, they didn't even deal with agape. You know, the Beatles said, all you need is love, and then the next month they broke up and hated each other. <laughs> so why is agape love so important? Listen carefully. Because agape love is the very character and essence of God. Look what John says when he used the word agape. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is agape. God is agape. God is the definition of agape love. Agape love is the greatest love of all because it embodies who our Father in heaven really is. Agape love is God's best selfie. Agape love is God's best picture of himself. And when you see that picture, it looks like this. And it looks like this. And yes, it even looks like this. That's what agape love is. Jesus came to earth. When he came to earth, he came to serve. He came to minister. He came to care. He came to give. He came to heal. He came to restore. He came to rebuild, to forgive, to transform, to love, to agape love. He came to replace spiritual death with spiritual life. He came to change despair to hope. Jesus came to make the vilest sinner clean. Jesus came to make hard hearts soft again. He came to empty himself and die so that we could have life. Why? Because he is agape. Unselfish love. He considered every human being conceived on this earth to be so valuable, he paid the ultimate price and died. How valuable are you? How valuable is every human on the face of this earth? We cost as much as the ultimate price, the death of Jesus. That's how valuable you are. That's how much he loves that's how much he loves. Why is agape love the greatest? Because it has provided <laughs> for the greatest thing God ever thought up, human redemption. Do you realize God could have just ended us like he did Noah's world? But he didn't, did he? 
No, he didn't. That's real love. You know, there was a, there was a story that happened here years ago, and I, I just keep I keep thinking of this story because it, it was so powerful. Uh, there was a, an incredible guy that is a friend of ours now. When he first came into our church many years ago, I think it's like in, 19, in 2000 or something. I think this was a brand new building at the time. He, he came in and he stood in the back. He had sunglasses on. He actually got dropped off here accidentally because somebody didn't want to deal with him. And they said, you need to go to church. And they dropped him off here. And he was standing in the back. And I saw him and I thought, boy, that's sort of weird. And we had, a, a, we had an altar call going. People were coming and the Lord was healing and saving people and stuff. And and I saw him begin to move down the aisle. He came right down the middle aisle and moved down. And as he got real close to the, to the front, he, um, he just turned around, let out a blood-curdling scream, and just ran out the door, busted through the foyer, knocked people down, ran out the front door and into the parking lot. Well, I, I, Pastor Clark and I both, athletes that we are, we both just ran after him because we had no idea what was going on. He was trying to throw himself in front of like cars and stuff. And uh, uh, some of the master's commission students, Pastor Jason and Corey were here at the time. I think Pastor Jason helped chase him around as well. And, and some others, we chased him around. And finally, he collapsed on the concrete. And we took him upstairs. Uh, and, and he was filled with demons. Just the truth. He was filled with demons. He'd been in the occult. He'd been messed up big time. And we, 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 Mike, I think you came in there with us too. We, we, we were trying to cast the demons out of him. And then he just got up and said, I'm done. I'm gone. Bye. And he just walked out. And so we thought, Ooh, wow. And we just didn't know what to do. So we said, well, whatever. And about a year later, he showed up again with his wife. And, uh, I saw him and he came up and said, you remember me? I said, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I'm sort of looking for. Jason and the rest of them, you know. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm ready. And uh, I remember, Mike, I came and got you. And we, I, I think Stan Bruce and several people gathered. We, we went upstairs and he got set free of every one of those spirits. And his wife got saved. <laughs> you know? His wife got saved. And he, he's not in Chilton County now. He's a leader in the church and serving the Lord, raised his family in the Lord. Folks, that, that, that's a miracle. It's a miracle of agape love. That's why agape love is so important. That's why it's so important. So third question, how can I apply agape love to my life? How does it apply to me? Well, here's what I want to do. I'm going to bring up on the screen what I shared with you a moment ago to describe agape love. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to give it to you phrase by phrase. And I'm going to ask you to just put your finger on your pulse of your own life and say, where am I? Am I like this? I, this is a hard question to ask. I want you to ask yourself. I'm not going to ask you to respond, but you can respond to yourself. Where am I? Let's measure it on a scale of one to ten. In this one, where am I? Here goes. Agape love is patient and peaceful. It's kind and thoughtful. The next one. It does not envy what others have. 
It refuses to be jealous. The next one. Agape love does not boast. It's not proud. It's not arrogant. It's humble. Next. It is not harsh or rude. It's not self-seeking, self-centered. Next. It's not easily angered or overly sensitive. Get this. It keeps no record of wrongs. Boy, that's a tough one. Holds no grudges and refuses to play the victim card. And next. Agape love does not participate in revenge or payback. It does not make accommodation with evil, but holds on tightly to the truth. Folks, love doesn't congratulate people for living in sin. It speaks the truth in love. Next. It always bears whatever comes. Whoa. How many times do we say, God, I can't handle anymore? And God says, I'll, I got you. It trusts God in everything. Always keeps hope alive. And agape love never, ever gives up. We say, well, that's an impossible standard. That is an impossible standard. There's no way in the world I can live up to that. 100% of the time, I agree. It's not. Faith and hope are impossible standards in a way. But God says, I'll give you the way to make faith and hope and love work in your life. I'll give you what you need for that. The question is not, are you perfect? The question is, are you more agape today than you were yesterday? Because God wants us to grow in these graces. He wants us to grow so it's important that we say to ourselves, am I more agape today than yesterday? Do I want to be more agape tomorrow than I was today? Or am I stuck? Now listen, we get stuck sometimes when we start feeling sorry for ourselves and when bad things happen and we get hurt, we protect ourselves and we begin to lash out. Then we begin to nurse those protections of ourselves and we don't forgive totally. We wait till someone proves it. That's not agape. Let me ask you when, you, when you sin and say, God, forgive me, does God say, all right, I'm going to wait and see if you do it again, then I'll see if I forgive you? No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't wait for you to prove yourself. He gives you the forgiveness. And if you blow it, what does God do? Seventy times seven, he said, and that's in one day. That's how, that's what agape is. Agape doesn't run, uh, put their hands like this and go, I'll see it when I be I'll believe it when I see it. No. That's what forgiveness is. Doesn't mean we don't have boundaries that we have to have, but there's a forgiveness that's got to flow. There's no better way to become more like Jesus than have agape love because Jesus is the perfect picture of agape love. So how do I grow in agape love? Real simple. Here goes. Ready? Let go and give it up. Just, 
just let go. God, I give you this. God, I, I can't handle this. God, I'm feeling these these feelings aren't right. God, I give these to you. God, I surrender these to you. I give these to you. Just let go and give up. Has, has anybody ever heard of that phrase, uh, fait accompli? It's a nice French phrase. It means something is irreversible. It's a faith that's already accomplished. It's irreversible. You can't change it. Agape love says, yes, you can. Wes our friend I told you about, most people would say that guy is, is a goner forever. But agape love, a year later, showed up. That's what happens. He'll help you let go of addictions, of habits, of sins, of grudges, of unforgiveness. You know somebody that you think is beyond hope of changing? Agape love says, hold on to that hope. Because nothing is beyond what God can do. The only thing irreversible is the Word of God. The Word of God is irreversible. Sometimes, now listen carefully, sometimes we think that our own mistakes and our own sins and failures are unforgivable, even for ourselves. We have a hard time letting go of it for ourselves. We may be quicker to forgive other people than we are ourselves. We may say, I'll never change, I'll be like this forever. But God knows how to work incredible miracles. God says that he can take what the enemy means for evil and he can turn it to good somehow. That can work in you personally and in other people too. No matter how messed up we are or they are. When you decide that someone is beyond being transformed and you write them off, you're not abiding in God's love. But when you love them and pray for them, you are abiding in God's love and it can change their life. Now, God can't make them change. God doesn't want to make them change, but that love will draw them to God. The Bible says the goodness of God draws us to repentance. I promise you, God will never quit knocking on the door of their heart until death closes that door. All the way, God is still reaching out, still reaching out. Because that's what agape love does. Does that sound radical to you? Does that sound radical? Well, it is. It's really big time radical. It doesn't make any sense. But that's how God is. I told you about my friend who passed away. Uh, dear friend. He, uh, there was a certain time in his life that he sort of turned his back on God and walked away from God. And we were sort of estranged. He, he just didn't have any communication with me for, for several years. Not a long period of time, but several years. And uh, people were praying for him and loving him. And uh, his mother passed away, and on her deathbed, she said, Son, God promised me that you were going to turn your life back around follow Jesus. And from that day on, he couldn't sleep. And he turned his life over to the Lord and met an incredible group of Christians. And they restored him to the Lord. He began to serve the Lord, served him faithfully for the last at least 20 years or so. Served God faithfully and left an incredible mark on so many people's lives. You know why? Because of God's radical love. I was in a conversation with him when he, he and I reconnected and he... he Talk, talk to me about a lot of things and he told me
that there was one scripture that just blew him away. And it's Isaiah 118. It goes like this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. <laughs> it, is, it, it is unreasonable that God could take mistakes, bad mistakes, sins, deliberate mis mistakes and sins, and wipe them away. How can somebody do that? How can God do that? The Bible says he doesn't hide them. He doesn't just black them out. He erases them. He removes them as far as the east is from the west, which will never meet each other. The Bible says they go to the bottom of the bottom of the sea, and it double, doubles that. The bottom of the bottom of the sea. That's where he has taken our sins. Only God can do that. Only agape love can do that. And if God does that for us, shall we not do it for others? If you're going to be like Jesus, that's how we have to be. That's called agape love. Apply it to yourself today. There's a, there's a story about a, a lady named uh, Giselle Guzman. She was on the 64th floor of the World Trade Center on 9-11. And uh, as, as the building was crumbling, she was trying to get down. On the 64th floor is when the building collapsed. When she was there, it collapsed. For three days, she was in the rubble. For three days. She, had, she ended up being trapped under a metal stairwell. It was just in a little air pocket, but she had uh, heavy concrete on her legs and she couldn't move. And for three days, she was there. What, what she told us, though, was this. Two days earlier, she had gone to Brooklyn Tabernacle. And she had, she had been away from God, not been serving God, and she went there. And she got under great conviction, but she didn't go to the altar to pray because she said, I just, I just don't know. God, you're going to have to give me some time on this. So God gave her three days in an air pocket. She said that she would pass out and then she would wake up and pray and pass out and then wake up and pray. And then one day she heard, she heard something. She began to scream and scream and somebody was able to faintly hear her call and they got her out. She was the last person that was successfully found alive in the rubble of the World Trade Center. She said it was in that air pocket that the love of God filled me and I saw how much God loved me and it took the World Trade Center collapsing to get my attention. But she said... He loved me so much. That's what he did. The greatest of these. I've tried to lay out for you the greatest of these. And it's to let you know how much he loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you floundering. He doesn't want to see you floundering in sin or in in. in hating yourself or anything like that. He wants to set you free. And today, you can be like Wes or like Giselle.
And my friend Walt, today can be your day for that to change. I'm going to ask you if you'll all stand with me. Stand, and I'm going to ask you to sing this with, with our worship team. And then our prayer team is going to come because this is the day. This is that day that some of you have been waiting for.